Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Ready? Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with another episode of the podcast. Another episode of Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. Another episode of the adventure, the Kings, and another episode of the quest as Cabellum. In the last episode, our party had a very difficult time having found out about a Miss Chazelle, who goes by many names, and Avian, who apparently has gone beyond the bounds of age and time for humanity. And apparently the king had a very interesting method for keeping her uh, around. And she found a way out, which our party had discovered. Perhaps Domero had something to do with it. But at this point, we're not playing a game of whodunit. We're playing a game of where the fuck is she? So in an attempt to find out where the fuck she be, our party, with the assistance of Barai, are making their way up the northern way up into... I guess the wastelands of the north of Ascabellum, uh, in hopes of finding Terulo and in hopes of finding out uh, where she went and how we can bring peace to the Avians and peace to Ascabellum, in hopes of getting the army together to go save everybody on the mainland. So, with this in mind, our party have just stepped over the bridge of Salivora and we are now. Heading off into the wilderness, I suppose. There's many a main road that head off to the north to another uh, town that belongs to the uh, Azkabellans, and that is Teleovi. Um, and so I guess the party would probably likely follow this path, which would be nothing more than like two days journey to get up there following the main road. Um, you guys never got horses or anything from uh, our friend the king, but I imagine he would have allowed you guys to take horses along the way, making your journey even quicker. So would Klika be riding uh, in the back on the saddle? Is that a thing? Didn't that happen before? Uh, yeah, Klika has yet to have her own horse, so. All right, Klika, okay. let's go. Okay, so Bri also gets his own horse, and you guys begin your wonderful journey up the uh, up the coastal way. And I'll say this much: that traveling through the uh, the bits of trees that you have here along the coastline, they're very far and few between. And it seems like Avi itself may have been a city built in the best possible location, all things considered. Meaning that, like the trees and the greens that you guys saw there, are definitely a rarity anywhere outside of the city walls. And as you continue up this coastline and pass by caravans and traders going along this way, you can see that most of these caravans and stuff are very well guarded. 
by you know what looked to be mercenaries but all of them looking you know with their heraldry and with their symbols and their flags dangling behind them as if sponsored by major clans or whatever but as you guys are traveling up this way and make it to uh Tealovi, you guys uh are able to find a place to stay pretty easily but my question is uh how would you guys go about getting a place to stay what's the overall technique you guys have at this point what's what's it look like when you guys are grabbing a place to stay are we treating ourselves like we are who we are are we trying to hide what's the overall plan for the party i think anton would go to right to Verai and just kind of get some insight if he can provide any like what's this town like what are we what are we walking into I mean, he is from Tarulo originally, and so hearing that that's where we're headed, he knows of Tealovi, but it's, you know, just like any other sort of city-state out here, where it's very much so self-reliant. There's orchards surrounding the place, there's a lot of fishing to be done, many trade districts and guild halls. So it's like, these are all like sort of little pocket cities, different than Amroth, where there's like villages that feed into towns and towns that feed into a city. Instead, this place is much more of like, everything's included in one blister. So they're very populated, and they're very much so isolated in their own bubbles. So he just suggested if you go into this place, it doesn't seem like word's going to spread out. It's just going to get all over inside the city. So he says, if you guys are noticed, it won't be long before it reaches Avi, but it seems like it's just going to spread around town very quickly inside. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's not a seedy place. It's just as nice as the capital, but it's smaller. So I guess the question still remains as to how you guys would like to go about this. What's our plan for everything. Norhill is going to suggest looking for like inns or boarding houses or whatever that specifically uh, serve travelers, you know, merchants and the like, just because, you know, there's no way that we're going to be able to hide that we're not locals. Um, So, you know, just picking somewhere where the fact that we're from somewhere else is going to be kind of overlooked seems like the best way to go. Okay. And so with the advice that Barai can give, he says that the closer you get to the water, the more likely you are that you're going to be at a place where mercenaries and sailors end up. So with that, he points you to a a tavern that he's heard of, and it's a tavern slash inn, and it's just known as Red and Yellow. And looking at the front signage, there's a big red fish and a big yellow fish, and they seem to be crossing in the middle, making sort of an X mark, kind of like that on a treasure map. Very confusing and very strange. But as he sort of shrugs, pointing to the sign, kind of leading you guys in, my next question is, would there be any secrecy to your travel? Or would you guys just kind of walk around like there's no reason to hide, no reason to, you know what I mean? Uh, You should probably hide a little. Who's to hide from? The assassins we were informed about that are probably able to sail and going to be more likely at this end than any other. We were, it, we were trying to be killed for years. Anton was nearly killed by a giant scorpion. He you just know what? doesn't worry about that shit anymore. Anton, I like that confidence. You know what? Hood's down, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. And so as you guys march into the uh, red and yellow here, you guys can see that there is quite uh, quite a lot of varied people within here. You see quite a lot of... Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of variety amongst the sailors in here. Majority of people are obviously human, but judging by how many people don't look to be Azkabellan and don't look to be 
um, Avian. There's very few flags in here, very few people carrying heraldic symbols. It definitely kind of uh, shifts the, the tone of where you guys have been before, as if you're almost like back in Eagleheart, as if like the tavern you're in could be anywhere else in the world. Um, but amongst the uh, crowd you see in here, you do see a couple of Dragonborn hanging out over by the bar. And it doesn't look like they're in the same kind of shrouded visage that you had seen before. But um, the one thing I will say that sticks out like a sore thumb is there appear to be a trio of individuals wearing bright white robes. And they appear to be wearing the vestiges of the Tome Guard. And they don't seem to be like looking around or anything. They're just genuinely eating dinner and like just hanging out and having like a meal. And it doesn't seem like they noticed anybody as you guys first walked in. So what would you like to do? Hey, Klika, isn't that your friends? <laughs> I didn't realize all Tom Guard were Klika's friends. Uh, well, Klika's not really sure if Klika should be talking to the Tome Guard right now. They're also looking for Klika, and I don't know if they're going to try and take her away. Anton's going to make sure if she could in any way be in view of them, he'll block it. Okay. And Norville's going to go to try to get us some room and board, you know, making no big deal of anything. Okay. And so since night's falling out there on the uh, waterfront, this place is starting to fill up with more and more people. And the task of hiding people in plain sight is getting a lot easier. Um, the owner of the inn says that at this time of night for this many people, it'll be told gold pieces for a meal, which is some nice big, thick, chunky fish soup and a room in the basement that's sort of more of a communal chamber, as I imagine Norhill would request something like that. Yeah, um, probably something that's more of like keeping you all in one position. Yeah, he rents it out for just two gold for the night. Okay, uh, so how much is that for everybody in total? Oh, it's just the two gold for the whole group. You're basically renting out like a storage closet in the basement. It's got all the furnishings and the bunks and everything, but it's definitely kept out of the public eye and nobody would be going down there unless they were roomed down there. You know what I mean? So four total for food and board. Okay. No, it's actually um, just two for the whole gang for the whole thing. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Got a bargain. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are you guys are at like a dive bar right now. It's not like they're charging you for anything fancy. Again, Norhill swung you guys like a very tight knit, safe little closet you can all fit in, and got you the fish soup. Like it, it's we're frugal. We're we're making it work here at the old red and yellows. But it's actually a chain. There's just one in every city now. Ever wonder why they didn't just call it the black and yellows? Because you know what it is. You, uh... <laughs> you know, I'm over it. So with that, the Tome Guard kick your fucking door in. Because <laughs> I hear a stupid fucking song being sang in the basement. Oh, hey, are you guys looking for Klika? An arrow shoots through Jarzak's head. No, I'm just kidding. Right with that, <laughs> it's okay. It's non-lethal. So with that, the um, yeah, the Tome Guard walk out in a in a whiff of joking around. Um, but yeah, was there anything you guys wanted to do now that you have a nice spot to stay, or did we want to kind of just treat this night like any other? Anton, just curious, how's Barai doing here? Like, I don't know if this, he's like used to this kind of thing or if he's like. 
he's trying to get a sense of like how this all affects him. Yeah, I mean, from what he's told you and the way he's kind of spoken about it, it seems like he views this as a test. And it's like him traveling back to his people, knowing what your goals are and having heard the king and seen the king do what he did. Like, he's got hope in his step. Like, he genuinely is, like, looking at this whole situation like, holy shit. Like, I've lived my entire life, like, fucking drinking Sandy's well water. And all of a sudden now, the king's like, you know what? We need peace. Let's let's do this. And he took his fucking shoes off on the bridge. Like, this has got him kind of in a mood where he's like, okay, I'll keep hush-hush. I'll do what you guys need to do. But I'm willing to be a team player, 100%. As if, like, I don't know. He bet all his money on black and he's just like all of a sudden made a big profit on it. And he's like, I chose the right move to continue with you guys. So, yeah. So he seems to be happy enough. So what would you guys like to do before going to sleep? Anything? I want to put everything on green. <laughs> zero and double zero. Nothing in particular. I don't think. No, exactly. All righty. I just want to make sure I don't have any, like... Mm. Ronnie! Oh, I was going to try to... Is this a I question could... about bonus actions and actions for spellcasting? No, I was just going to see if I could cast shield <laughs> faith, but I think it'll only work on one of us, even though it's 60 feet, which really doesn't make much sense in my head. It only lasts a minute, doesn't it? Last like a minute. Yeah, it, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's um, 10 minutes, but yeah. still, that would be enough for sleep. Yeah. At least it'll get you before you do that thing where you like wake up suddenly because you feel like you're falling. It'll yeah. catch you there. You'll have the shield block that fucking feeling. It'll, uh, it'll are there any, in the room where we're staying, are there any windows or anything? No, uh, you're in the basement. It's it's very well secured. I figured Norhill would prefer a room like this. Yeah, that yeah, the, you're right about that. Um, how does the door something. lock? Is it a latch? Is it a key? It is a very simple latch. Put something in front of the door. <laughs> Bri, yeah, just no, yeah Norville's gonna like wedge <laughs> like a chair under the uh, under the door handle to as like a secondary lock. Okay. And so with that, uh, I guess night falls calmly and everybody's able to go to bed. Anton Can wants a- to ask because he just realized. How did Bri and his fellows get like? If there's time to like have some like. Like talk to like go sleep of like how did him and his fellow sailors end up in jail in the first place when they before they met them? And so I guess what he explains to put a long story short, because of how difficult it is to like make a living doing anything off the land in Tarulo and any of the wasteland of the north, you have to learn how to either become a fisherman or to like learn how to be a mercenary to make money in order to go get things in other places. So for that reason, he basically alludes to the fact that he was a quote-unquote fisherman and he happened to get caught by people who could use him without paying him, if that makes any sense. And prison was a good landing for him and his group there before they were sold somewhere else. Oh no, he was a slave. Not yet. Not yet. And having a group of uh, uh, an orc show up with a wad of cash and being like, hey, I'll buy the lot of them. And they're like, oh, fucking great. And then they saw you and they're like, hooray, he's here to save us. And then you're like, the light. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, damn it. But, yeah. 
Wait, were they going to be brought to Gorgers? Perhaps. Perhaps brought somewhere even more nefarious. Who knows? I don't know. They could have all just become snacks to the octopus they had in the rock, the rocktopus. But who knows? Rocktopus is a pretty sweet name, by the way. Um, Rocktopus, the rocktopus, baby. I was going to say it, but I also didn't want to say rocktopus too many times on this podcast Look, but you, you did know, it for me we're all allowed to say it once does anybody else want to get their rock to puss out no all right we should all keep our rock to pusses i want to anyway. say i want to save mine for later <laughs> is it like the what was the pickle thing that we talked about hot pickle tuesday hot yeah. pickle tuesday <laughs> i remember that the other day out of absolutely nowhere, I just remembered you and your little smile being like Hot Pickle Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck is this podcast? Why have I wasted my life?" <laughs> but now yeah, that's what you get when you allow Tuesday your players too. to world build for you, Dan. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna I'm gonna start tweeting hashtag Hot Pickle Tuesday all the time, and we're just gonna see where it goes. It's really disappointing that the Ren Fair, the Hot Pickle guy, wasn't there this year. <laughs> well, it wasn't a Tuesday. Yeah, Anthony. you went on a weekend. Like, what do you expect? In the slave away a <laughs> week and weekend? Yeah, man, he's going to turn up on the weekend. But anyway, um, so with that, can I get a perception check from everybody? And Norhill can get a two. Oh, I got a, I got a five. Oh, good. <laughs> I beat Norhill. Don't worry. You got a 12. And what did Jarzak get? On uh, that one, which brings it up to a three. <laughs> oh, boy. So with that, Klika wakes up in the middle of her sleep and looks over at the door and sees Barai standing by it, holding a candle in a way that he's kind of guarding the light and looking down at the floor. And with that, Klika looks over at him. He looks back for a second and he holds a finger up to his lips as if giving you the sign to be quiet. And he points one finger down. And in the very, very meager light that you see in the room from the candle, you see a small mirror seems to be peering from underneath the door and like slid under to get like the slightest glance into the room. And he just points down at it and he looks back at you and he's like shrugs and he looks at you like, what do we do? Uh, also, hey Jarzak, um, there's a certain oh. slight prickly, itchy feeling you feel in the back of your neck, ever so uh, slightly. So I guess you I wake, wake up, up thinking, too. <laughs> thinking something's crawling around in your bed, and as you ah. lurch forward and you look and you see him kind of at the door, and he gives you the same finger of like, "Be quiet," and you feel that itchy sort of sensation. And feel like something might be coming down the doorway, down the hallway. I mm. cast darkness in the room <laughs> so that it covers the door so they don't see shit with that mirror. Okay. And I'll say because he was covering the light as he did, uh, one, he gets scared shitless when the room goes perfectly black and he's like, no, I- <laughs> <laughs> I'll look at him and I'll put a finger up and go, shh. And then it goes black. <laughs> I'll get up and go pull him over away from the door as well. So as you hop out of the bed, you step and with a little crunching pop, a single 
giant centipede pops under her foot. Not like a quote giant centipede, but like a big old wriggling bug just gets and you feel the sensation. You're like, and all of a sudden you hear like echoing from the doorway as you hear the mirror fall with a small clatter underneath the door. You hear Jarzak as it comes rattling down the hallway like somebody threw a tin can and with that (laughs) Mariah just sits there in your kind of grasp trying to pull him out of the way and he just like (laughs) in the darkness you can feel his shaking as he's like well I guess is it time to play again (laughs) oh my god and so you hear Nothing can save you, Jarzak. Not even the ones from beyond. And with that, you hear the clanging of heavy steel onto the ground as if somebody dropped a sword. And then you hear the clattering of another sword falling to the ground with a clang clatter. And with that, you hear... (laughs) And all of a sudden, that prickly, itchy feeling goes away. Is there still a giant centipede in here with us? I don't know. It's also pretty fucking dark thanks to I, somebody. Yeah, I can see in darkness, so... <laughs> well, that seems to be a very useful feature. Yeah. You look down to the ground, the centipede that you had felt before, there's nothing there at all. No uh, squish marks on your foot, no guts, no nothing. Okay. It's matter, Jarzak. <laughs> hey. I pull out my uh, long sword and I just look at it and I'm like, hey, uh, I don't know if you're listening, but I might need your help soon. And with that, to the... cut ties. <laughs> and with that, the... Uh... The blade begins to hum a little bit and you hear a voice in your head and it says to you, your path is your own. You must carve your own fate. I will be the tool, but you are the hand that drives. Basically, BRB. (laughs) Good luck, fam. Sheath it. And And so with that, remove the darkness. Yeah, and Barai just kind of sits there staring at you as you do it, and he's just like, so if Anton follows the light, I I just... know." And so with that, he just walks over to the other side of the room and <laughs> climbs into his bed and pulls the blanket up, up to his chin. And with that, as if like trying to like ignore everything he just experienced right there, he stops for a second, and he pulls back the blanket and he sits up real quick, and he says, did you hear that too? In the hole, the clanging, the clattering. Yeah, I imagine it's some dead people who are coming to kill us. I, I'm, come again. Oh, yeah, I imagine the darkness got him. So he, he walks over to the himself. door. More timidly as he continues along this way. Again, Klika sees all this going on. I don't know if Klika's helping out at any point or anything. If she's just sitting there like, 
No, no, no. Was, no. was just going to mage hand the mirror back under the door, but Jarzak woke up, so I was like, eh, he's got this. <laughs> and so just with that, slip it Bri- back. <laughs> Bri timidly puts his hand on the door and goes to open it, and the mirror falls with like a small clink to the ground as if the body that was holding onto the mirror was propped up against the door. And as the door slides open, a like husk of a tome guard body crumples to the ground in front of you guys. And you could see the drawn blade that it had had fallen to the floor underneath it. And the one standing behind it had its candle go out. And it's also laying as a husk on the floor with its back against the wall as if both of them had everything drained from them and they're just left behind. Bri takes a couple of steps back, drops his candle on the ground and it goes out with a whiff, leaving the darkness. And you guys can hear the sounds of shuffling and scuttling. And since Jarzak can see perfectly in the darkness, Kliga can too, right? Yeah. Yeah, you guys see the husks begin to kind of vibrate around and wriggle around as if something's crawling around inside of them. The bugs. I shut the door. Okay. And as you do, you just see a bunch of bugs begin to crawl out of them as you close the door. And nothing seems to skitter underneath the door. And they start to skitter around the hall on the other side. And Barai, just sitting there, hearing the noises, is just like terrified, but doesn't really know much what to do at this point. And after about 30 seconds of the scuttling and scurrying, it goes quiet again. I go over to his bunk and... I make a little bit of noise when I approach, so he's not completely fucking startled when I start talking to him. <laughs> and it's I say, uh, you, you should probably try your best to forget what just happened. It was all a bad dream. <laughs> I feel like that didn't make it any fucking better, but with that, he just stands up grabbing for you to help him up and as he starts to kind of have his eyes readjust to the darkness he meanders to his bed quietly and pulls the blanket up and he says I sure hope you all know what you're doing nope Klika goes back to bed (laughs) Klika goes yeah mage hands his blanket up over him like nope (laughs) uh flying by the seat of their pants since the year 2019 anyway um i don't know when we started this 2021 did we start this in 2020 this was a 2020 production it was yep anyway so with that uh aside um yeah so the rest of the night seems to go by pretty soundly in the morning uh what would you guys like to do anton's gonna give a little praise to the sunrise as Anton's doing that, Jarzak opens the door and pulls the bodies in. <laughs> and all that's left are just gnarled bones and the armor and stuff. About how far is it to, to Rulau in days? It's probably going to be, since there's no major roads connecting, probably about four or five days. Norhill needs to stock up on food in that case. Okay. So grabbing foodstuffs at the market, uh, enough to feed you or to feed everybody? Uh, No, Norhill might as well get food for everybody while he's out. 
Okay. So getting food, the extra water skins and stuff like that, the extra like barrel of water. Um, and I imagine maybe a mule to carry this new gigantic load of goods. Yeah. It's probably going to run you about a hundred gold pieces in total considering. All right. I'll pay in 10 platinums. Damn. Okay. And so with that, the guy's very impressed that you're willing to pay this much money and so it seems very appreciative but yeah so you guys get a mule you get a nice stock of water to bring with you and casks and a big giant thing of rations to bring with you dried fish like fish jerky can the mule's and name so, Mori? what was that mule's name let's name Mori. Mori the mule yeah well, if, you, if you want to name it put the mule on your character sheet and be responsible for it I will <laughs> there you not like those horses at the bottom of the mountain I know. We've had to abandon so many mounts in this campaign. I feel bad. It makes me want to. Oh, it's okay. I mean, you just slap them on the button, they run free. It's just the ones in the desert probably won't make it. You know? (laughs) But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Can I add a a mule to my. All right. Well, Ronnie, while you figure out the mule mechanics, (laughs) um, mule rules. Uh, the party begin to leave the last remnants of the city as you guys head off. Unless you wanted to do anything can, else. Can I check the body, see if they had anything valuable on them to take? No, and in fact, it looked like these guys were wearing like the lightest Tome Guard armor you've seen. They had the silvered blades, which you guys recognize, but it looks like these guys were built for stealth. And this was not your typical heavy armor, like night expedition. This was like a stealth rate on the room and whatever goods they had must have been left behind in their rooms. I just take their tome guard cloaks then. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Was there anything else we wanted to do while we're here in Tia Levy? Nope. All right. And so with that, the party begin their trek into the wastelands in the north. And as you guys leave and start walking far off, or at least riding on your horses off into the north and going over the rolling sandy hills here, it's not necessarily that they're sandy. The lands just feel baked. Like the grasses are all sort of golden-hued and dried out. The trees look almost fossilized in a way, as if all the moisture had been rapidly drained out of them, and they were almost like crystallized by this rapid departure of water and so as you guys are heading on your journey in the first couple days you come across like thickets of trees and bushes and stuff that just look like fossils on like i don't know on the surface and as you guys pass by them you know seeing sticks and stuff on the ground they seem to fall apart and shatter like glass and so passing these borderline like wooden glass thickets and forests out here it looks like they haven't been touched too much And some of them look like they've been sort of destroyed by whatever. But for the most part, they almost still kind of look livable as if certain critters could make homes in some of the locations. But there's nothing alive out here. This is sort of a graveyard of trees and plants and whatnot. Can I get a perception check, however, from the party as you guys travel out here into some of the more open territories over the hills? Oh, God, am I dice broken? I got another two. 19. I've, nice. I got a four again. <laughs> a so goose a egg and... for Kalika. What did you get? A goose egg. Big old zero. Did you roll oh, the very good. thing? Uh, I rolled a performance. Doesn't matter. It's still a minus one. Okay, so still a zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
from now on you're just going to roll performances and a perception <laughs> but with that so as you guys are walking through this forest and everybody seems to be pretty well you know interested in whatever the heck these trees and plants look like uh jarzak hears in the distance a weird whistling on the wind and as you look off into the distance and look up towards the sun um it's not even that out here it's super hot it's just that it's very arid you know what i mean but as you're looking off in the cloudless sky you see in the distance something of a bird but judging by the sound of it calling and like the distance that it must be away for the sound to travel like that this thing must be fucking massive so if you'd like to, you can roll a nature check real quick, but this thing is just like mammoth bird. Like this is not just some bird that's real close. Uh, five? I mean, you know that gigantic birds like this must exist. So to assume there's something out there that large makes sense. And it could be the case that it's not even magic. It's just fucking like apex predator chilling out here in the sand and there's no cover for anything to hide and so he's just really cleaning house guys i think we got a big bird up ahead i mean it seems like it's far enough away that you only caught like a whiff of it you know and judging by how big its shape is in the sky and how loud it is it's not even that like it's close and it's your eyes playing tricks on you with the perspective you know but yeah and so with that as the party continue off this way, Barai takes a moment in your trip after mentioning that gigantic bird to say, the wastelands themselves have proven to be very, very complicated and difficult to live in. And many of the predators out here are cruel. And many creatures over the centuries have learned to survive in one way or another. And almost to sort of punctuate this claim, he looks off in the distance where everybody was looking at him. He looks off and he says, like, whatever that is supposed to mean. And as you guys all look at where he's pointing to, you see a trio of rabbits that appear to be the size of, like, wolves. And they've all been mutilated and gored by what appear to be, like, lacerations. But they themselves are equipped with like claws on their on their little footy pads and they look like they have some big old chompy teeth. So it's it's certainly not the case that these are just loving little rabbits. These are some like dire bunnies and it looks like something got them. And as he's sort of looking around at these rabbits and kind of doing a quick scan around the horizon, he says, did anything try to eat them? Bryce certainly doesn't look like he's moving up to this. Norhill will go look. <clears throat> Good. So as Norhill goes and approaches, um, you look over their bodies and notice something kind of interesting here. Could I get an investigate check? Sure. Oh my god. Freaking natural one, man. So it's definitely weird. Apparently there's some green blood mixed up with all the red blood here and the rabbits have not been chomped on whatsoever. Was anybody else going to check this out or was Norhill just looking at the bunnies? Almost looks like whatever did it only did it only did so for the fun of it or was scared off by something else. I'll go check it out too. Yeah. Kaliga will check out how soft their fur is. That's about it. 
That's that's not great. And so with that, okay, their fur is uh, not very soft, but it's very thin considering. Um, and what was Jarzak going to do? Uh, go check out like the blood. Okay. I mean, it's very clear that there's green blood in here too. And Jarzak's basic understanding of mammalians is the green is not usually their color for blood. And seeing that is very strange. So, Kalika, you and Jarzak are capable of rolling an investigate to get a better grip on what the heck's going on with this greenness. Uh, 15 minus 114. 13. So, you both can see that that greenness in the blood, apparently Norhill might be colorblind, but as you guys see the greenness in the blood trailing off in the distance and small splatterings, it looks like something else got wounded, but looking at like the green splatters, there's like like marks in the in the in the earth as if something was like pulling itself along, and this seems to go sort of along the path that Barai is walking you guys, and so with that he just chalks it up to hopefully not as bad a thing as what could possibly be the case. But with that, can I get a trail ration from everybody? One ration of food from everybody for today's travel. Yeah. How many did we end up buying in total? I figured five for each of you. So um, with that, um, by about the second day, could I get another perception check? As much of traveling out here in this weird prairie sort of thing is much the same. But as you guys stop off over by what is... I guess I'd say like a, a big gigantic tree that seems to have been dried out. It could have been like a massive oak tree or something at one point, but it's been so dried out that it looks to be almost like a rock at this point, just a very strange looking rock. But yeah. That's a 19. This time it's an eight. Cookie got another goose egg. 17. Okay. So, um, Norhill got an eight, you said? Yep. Okay. So Norhill and everybody else can hear the clangs of something fighting, like as if something's like swinging blades. And you guys can hear the sort of like crackling and cackling tones of something fighting as if like some beasts are just like growling and, and you know, doing their mule noises there. But as you guys approach to the tree, you can see there's about 10 of these giant rabbits that are dead and in different positions looking much the same. And you guys look to see that there is a large pool of that green blood leading up to the other side of the tree. And as you guys begin to approach said tree, you can see that a few rabbits have sort of circled around this tree. And as you walk in here, many of them begin to come out of shrubbery and bushes. And as you guys begin to notice how circled you are here, you see a single throwing star looking frisbee sized disc go flying out from the other side of the tree and just absolutely buzzsaw one of these rabbits. And you hear a strange clicking, wheezing and popping noise as some sort of praying mantis looking beast kind of crawls a few shrugs out from behind the tree, making itself a little bit more clear in the open, looking over at all of you. And if a bug could look like it has an emotion on his face of fierce or, or like challenged ferocity, it sure does try to make it at you guys, but a couple of those rabbits begin to leap at it as you guys catch its attention and start to like jump upon it. And two of its spare arms begin to pull at them to try to get them off. 
And that is where we're going to end it. Hey, everyone. I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.